Again, Romans 12, verses 14 to 16. And remember as we read, we're reading God's word. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. That's God's word. You may be seated. I don't know if if you have certain words that you always have a hard time remembering how to spell or certain concepts that you always kind of get confused with other things. But for me, one of the things that I always can get confused about, and so maybe you know the difference, but I, maybe, maybe I finally learned it, is the difference between sympathy and empathy. You ever hear those words? Maybe if you've been, you know, in corporate, like, sensitivity trainings or something like that, you, you've heard about sympathy and empathy. They're important ideas, but I always have kind of mixed them up or used them the wrong ways, apparently. And so uh, I want to give you the definitions. Do you know the definitions of sympathy Versus empathy? Anyone think they know? Test? Test? No, no. Okay, all right. Sympathy. Here's the definition of sympathy. Sympathy is feelings of sorrow for someone else's misfortune. Feelings of sorrow for someone else's misfortune. So you see what they're going through and you go, oh, man, I feel bad for them. It's, it's a kind of feeling with. You're feeling alongside them. Empathy, though, is a, it's a level deeper. It's a layer deeper. And empathy is the ability to understand and share the feelings of another. So not just to, to see it and go, man, that must be hard, but to see what they're experiencing and feel it, to share in their feelings. This is not just feeling alongside of, it's feeling into. Oftentimes this is easier if the person is closer to us or if we've gone through a similar kind of experience. If you've been through cancer and you have a friend or a family member that gets that diagnosis, you respond to that differently. You feel that at a deeper level. You don't just go, man, that's too bad. You feel the pain with them. So sympathy versus empathy. You know, it's interesting, though, there's a, a, a scholar that has proposed another layer that goes even deeper than that. Have you heard of this? Interpathy. Interpathy. Here's what interpathy is. Interpathy is essentially empathy, but toward a truly separate other person. So, so to put that in non-academic uh, definitions, it's feeling, sharing the feelings that other people have, but these are people that are totally different from you. People, that, oftentimes this is more of an intercultural empathy. So going, I don't know anything what your culture is like. I don't know what you're like, but I'm feeling what you're feeling. That's a whole different kind of level. And here's what we're going to see uh, today is that Christians, as we've been looking at in this passage in Romans 12, Christians are called to love. We're called to love with sympathy, caring about people from a distance, and we're called to love with empathy, which is really moving into and feeling what they're feeling. And what empowers us to do it, we'll see, is the interpathy of Jesus. The fact that Jesus left what was comfortable and familiar and kind of in his culture, and he became one of us. He left his culture, moved into ours, and felt what we feel. And because he did that, he enables us to love people that same way. And that's how we're called to love. That's what we're going to see in this passage. Now, here's the thing that's been interesting and I, I guess just interesting, is we've been, we've been at this now. This is our seventh week of really digging into what love is about. And when you know it, God keeps giving me opportunities to love people. Dang it. You know, it's like he just keeps bringing people in my path that, 
that I think a couple months ago I might have just not noticed or not seen or for sure not taken an interest in. And he just keeps giving me these opportunities. And it's like the Holy Spirit just sort of taps me on the shoulder and goes, hey, you've been, you've been talking a good game. Let's see it. And, and especially there's this one, and none of you would know him, but there's a guy that I, I now have a, a weekly interaction with. And it's a real opportunity for me to show love. And, and it's been just really interesting for God to kind of keep bringing that to mind. And maybe you've seen that. And maybe if there's a part of you, as we even kind of look at this idea of love, where you're kind of like, love again? Really? Like, can we move on to, like, Romans 13 is going to be about government. That'll be interesting. Like, can we, can we skip this love thing? There's a reason God keeps bringing this to mind. There's a reason that Paul has so much to say here. It's because the defining mark of the Christian life is love. When we saw at the beginning of chapter 12 that we're not to be conformed to the image of the world but be transformed by the renewal of our mind, what does that look like more than love? If we're being conformed in the image of Jesus, what does that look like more than love? Nothing else. And so God, in his faithfulness, keeps giving us opportunities to, to learn here and to apply here, not just to hear and nod our heads, but to move forward in action. And so hopefully he'll challenge you in some ways that way today as well. We saw last week that last week's verse in 13 uh, began to be kind of a, a transition verse for us here in Romans 12. Up to this point, the Apostle Paul has been talking about how we need to love one another in the church family, specifically loving believers that are part of our local congregation. That's been the focus. But then in verse 13, we saw it kind of branch out a layer, right? So look at verse 13. It said, contribute to the needs of the saints. That's take care of Christians. But then it ripples out one layer and says, seek to show hospitality. And we saw that hospitality isn't just uh, sort of lighting candles and, you know, making good food. It's welcoming strangers. It's kindness to strangers. So here we're commanded, uh, love inside the family, love the insiders, and now love the outsiders. And then we take it to a whole new layer, and we'll focus on this really more next week because the Apostle Paul picks it up uh, in verse 17 even more. Uh, but that out, outer layer, we see verse 14, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. So we're called to meet the needs of the family, the insiders. We're called to show hospitality to the outsiders, loving our neighbors. And then we're called even to bless and love our enemies. Bless those who persecute you, uh, Paul says. This word bless is the Greek word eulageo. It's where we get the, the word eulogy, right? So what's a eulogy? A eulogy is somebody dies and someone stands up and they talk about the person. And, and ideally, they say nice things, right, in a eulogy. Hopefully that's what happens. And that's what this word means. This word means to say something praiseworthy, to speak well of somebody, to honor somebody with our words, that's a whole nother layer of love, right? It's easy to take care of the insiders. It's a little more challenging to welcome outsiders and strangers. It's really hard to speak well of and to love enemies. And even as we'll see uh, throughout, throughout uh, next week, this blessing is really even includes praying for. That's probably what's meant here. Paul is probably alluding to a teaching that he heard uh, related to Jesus. And Jesus in Luke chapter 6 said this, But I say to you who hear, love your enemies... Do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you. Talk about counter to the world. So this love has a rippling effect. 
It starts with insiders, it moves to outsiders, then it moves even to enemies. Now what's interesting is verse 14 kind of talks about enemies, and then Paul picks it up in verses 17 and following. That's what we'll look at next week. But then in the middle here, he starts to talk about kind of the insiders again. And it's had me sort of, as I've been preparing this sermon and studying this, it has me going, why does he do that? Why is he, he, he ripples it out. I just would expect him to stay out there. But he kind of ripples it out and then moves back in. Why? And I think what we're going to see in this passage, specifically in verses 15 and 16, what we're going to see there is what we need, how we need to love each other together in order to really be able to withstand persecution and enemies. That's not a world we live in a lot. A lot of us aren't super persecuted. It's coming more and more. But we're going to have to have what's described in today's passage if we're going to love each other well, especially when people come against us. So here's what we're going to see. We're going to see that in the context of pain and trouble, we must love through harmony and love through humility. Love through harmony, love through humility. It's nice that they both start with H. All right, so first, love through harmony. Look at verse 15. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Verse 15, rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep. This is talking about feelings. Now, this is interesting because if you understand what the Bible says about love, one of the things you might say is, you know what? Love isn't about feelings. Love is about a choice. It's unconditional decision to love. And that's true. But it does involve feelings. Right? What Paul's saying here is when someone is ecstatic, feel joy in your heart too with them. Feel what they're feeling. This is empathy. He says, when someone is sorrowful and brokenhearted and weeping, feel that with them. Feel it too. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Let me just ask you, what do you think? Which is harder, to rejoice with those who rejoice or to weep with those who weep? What do you think? Maybe this depends a little on your personality. Maybe it depends on the situation. I don't know if there's a definitive right answer. I'm not sure it matters. I think both are hard. To really feel the burden that someone feels. To really feel the joy they feel. But at least for me, I think it's harder to, re- to truly rejoice with those who rejoice. When someone is so brokenhearted, you kind of just can't help but be moved with like, oh, I'm so sorry. But when someone's really happy... I don't know, I have this thing in me that wants to kind of balance it out. Okay, you're a little too excited now. Let me, yeah, well, let me tell you the other part that is less exciting, you know, which is so bad of me. I mean, it's so, because when I get excited, I want people to be excited with me. When I see something that's incredible, I want people to feel it with me, right? But then when I see other people do that, it's like, wah, 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 you know, let me, let me Eeyore you here about why this is a bad idea. I think it's hard. And I think rejoicing with those who rejoice is especially hard if somebody else is rejoicing in what you wanted but didn't get. Someone else gets the opportunity you got. Someone else has the family you'd like. Someone else gets the promotion you'd like. Someone else gets the experience you want. And, and, And they're excited about it. And they're sharing about it. And they're talking about it. Can you really rejoice with them? It's hard. 
remember a number of years ago when I was an intern in ministry, and there was this friend of mine, friend from high school, and we were both interns, and he kept sort of getting these opportunities to, to teach and to preach and to lead and to do ministry that I wanted. He was kind of getting promoted, and I wasn't. And I remember feeling like, on the outside, I'm going, yeah, good, good for you. On the inside, I'm like, dang it, I wanted that. It's hard. But if you really can rejoice with those who rejoice, it's such a blessing to those who are rejoicing. It's an incredible act of love. This past year in our, in our small group, it was incredible. Um, there's this one family, um, this, this couple that has really desired to be pregnant and to have kids. And just for whatever reasons, it hasn't happened and it hasn't worked for them. And all three other people in our group, all three other couples got pregnant. And I think we were the first one that, that found out about that. And I remember kind of going, how are they going to feel about this? And how, how excited are we going to be? Because we're really excited, but we know this is an area of pain for them, and this is difficult, and how, you know, how are we going to do that? And what a joy it was to see them genuinely rejoice, to see them celebrate, to see them excited to see them thrilled, right? And, and part of it is the husband is just excited about everything. If you knew this guy, you'd go, you know, even now, like when he sees Mary, he like holds her up like Simba, you know, like, <laughs> we're like, careful there, you know, like, <laughs> easy, you know, but he's so excited and he's so genuine. I think he could have all kinds of reasons to scuffle and to poo-poo about it. I don't know what goes on in his heart, but, but how nice, how kind, how loving to genuinely rejoice with those who rejoice. It, it, it's saying, have the same attitude. This person's feeling elation, feel it with them. Think the same way. This person's feeling pain, feel that with them. And that's why it makes sense then that Paul says in verse uh, 16, the first part, live in harmony with one another. This word literally means to be of one mind, to think the same way, to have the same attitude. And it's interesting that the translators here use the word harmony because I think about what harmony is. Harmony is multiple voices making one beautiful sound. That's what it is when we live in harmony with one another. Uh, Mark Andrus is our, uh, he runs our kids' ministry, and he's a, he's a very good singer, and uh, specifically at kind of singing harmony and doing different parts and things like that. And so uh, sometimes when, when Matthew will have a vocal group of, of just a cappella stuff, Mark will be part of that. And so I pulled Mark aside the other day. I said, hey, this verse talks about harmony. Talk to me about harmony. Like, I know when I hear it, because I love hearing music, right? I, but, but my ability to play music, I can play an iPod, and that's about it. I, <laughs> I can't play anything. I, you know, if I hit the melody, I'm thrilled, right? But when I hear harmony, I know it's special. I know it's incredible. So I, so I said, talk to me about harmony. You, you sing harmony. What do you, what do you think about? What can we learn about from harmony? Talk to me. What, what's on your mind when you do that? And he said three things that I thought were fascinating and I think have a real application to this kind of verse. The first thing he said about harmony is he said, when you're singing harmony, you have to stay small with your voice. Because you don't want any one voice to overpower the other voices. You want all the voices to be heard. And so you're not trying to sound really loud and overpowering yourself. You want everyone to be heard. I thought, that's a really interesting description of what it is to live in harmony with one another. To have the same mind. So I'm staying small. I don't need to stand out. I don't need to be noticed. I don't need to be celebrated. I just, I want everyone to be heard. I thought that was great. He also said when he sings harmony, he focuses on listening well. 
He said you're wanting to pick up all the different parts that people are singing, and so you have to listen well, which I thought, how do you sing one thing and listen to the other? I mean, I just, how you musical people do this, I don't know. But it's fascinating. But he said you've got to listen well in the same way. If we're going to love one another, if we're going to have the same mind, we need to be people who listen well, who don't just wait for everyone's lips to moving so we can talk. And then the third thing that he said is he said, I, my whole goal when I do it, this kind of relates to those first two, but I'm looking to how I can make the whole sound better. So he said, I'm trying to stay small and I'm trying to listen because what I'm listening for are the, the gaps, the parts that aren't yet being filled, right? Because there's a melody line and then there's this harmony and that harmony and apparently there's all these different, I didn't know about this, but there's all these things that you could do. And, and I thought it was like this or this, but it's like this, 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 or this, or this, and it's all these things. And so he's going, I'm looking to go, okay, where's a, where's a part that I can play that will make all of us sound better? I thought, that's what love is. It's not elevating myself. It's saying, how can, how can we together be stronger? How can we together be better. And remember, in the context of people coming against the church, of people uh, persecuting, of people being hostile toward the church, what we need to do is stick together and go, how can we be strong together? How can we listen together? How can we live in harmony? It's imperative as the body of Christ that we live with this kind of love. Right? Jesus said, the world will know you're my disciples by your knowledge. Wait, no, 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 he didn't say that. He said, they'll know you're my disciples by your love. And if we can't love in here, how are we going to love out there? It's incredibly important. So I want to challenge you, and I want to ask you, and, 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 and this is maybe going to play into where we go next week. Are there people, or is there a person in your life that you are out of harmony with? You're out of sync with. The relationship's broken. Maybe it's a brother or a sister or an in-law. Maybe it's someone that has X in front of wherever their thing was before. Maybe it's someone at work. Maybe it's someone in this church. Maybe it's a former pastor. Maybe it's people in your last small group. Maybe it, I don't know, maybe it's me. Maybe it's someone else. And you go, that relationship's broken. I see that person and I want to go the other way. I don't want to listen to them. I don't want to be near them. Yeah, they're, they're Christians. Yeah, they, yeah, they're going to heaven, but I just don't want, I don't want to be near them. Now, the, the, I get this. The, there's some nuance here. There might be specific situations where that would be the wise thing to do is to not be around them. But for the vast majority of us, I think we would need to look in the mirror and go, is there a relationship that needs fixing? Am I out of sync? And then I would encourage you, in light of what it's going to say in verse 18, look at verse 18. He says, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. I love that part. As far as it depends on you, do what you can do. You can't do everything. You might not be able to fix it. But is there someone that you need to forgive before God? Is there someone that you need to talk to and pursue reconciliation with them? Is there junk in your life and relationships that is going to junk up the ministry of the church moving forward because in the midst of persecution, we're fighting. I don't know, but if a face comes to mind, 
a name comes to mind, I, I challenge you to think about that, pray about that, do something about it. I've been at some summer camps before, it's interesting, with, with students where uh, one of the last nights they'll celebrate communion. And one of the things they'll always say is, hey, if, if you're going to celebrate communion, before you do it, if you have a relationship back home with mom or dad or someone that's broken, you need to get on the phone before you take communion. So maybe you today. Maybe communion's not for you today. Maybe you need to get off, get, get out of here after this and go make a phone call. Maybe you need to make something right. Because what communion is, what it celebrates, is the unity of the body of Christ. That's what that picture is. And if we don't have that unity, if we're not living in that harmony, we've got to fix it. We've got to do something about it. Now, what that's going to take, surely, is humility. It's going to take humility to live like that. It's going to take humility to be in harmony with one another. If you're going to listen well and not be elevated and just try to help the whole, and if you're going to fix relationships, it's going to take humility. So it makes sense that that's where Paul goes next. Not only do we love through harmony, but we love through humility. He says in verse 16, Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Do not be haughty. That word means to sort of look down your nose at somebody, to be high thinking, to be highfalutin. And you and your highfalutin, you, you look down your nose. It's kind of this puffed up, you know, look down at people. I'm glad I'm not like them. Right? This reminds us of the story Jesus told about the Pharisee and the tax collector. Right? The Pharisee's the religious guy, and he's the one that goes, God, <laughs> thank you that I'm not like other men. But I give, and I serve, and I do all these wonderful things. Thank you that I'm not like that tax collector. And then the tax collector is beating his chest, and he's ashamed, and he goes before God and says, God, have mercy. I'm a sinner. Jesus said the person that walked away right with God was the tax collector, not the Pharisee. Because all through the Bible, listen, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. In Proverbs, God describes the things he hates. And for God to use the word hate should get our attention. And one of the things God hates are haughty eyes. Eyes, attitudes that look down on other people. He says, don't be haughty. Don't be above everyone else. Don't be proud. But associate with the lowly. This word associate means to to accommodate, but it's more than that. It's to be carried away with. It's kind of like someone gets carried away with a hobby or they get carried away with passion or they get carried away with, with whatever. This is saying get carried away with the lowly. If you get excited about something, if you get engaged in something, it better not be that you're better than anyone. It better be that you are eager to. You're carried away with the lowly. Now, we don't actually know, and commentators debate, the way that the grammar of this, of this verse doesn't indicate whether lowly here is referring to tasks like sweeping the floor, cleaning the toilet, doing things that you go, hey, nothing's below me, tasks, or if it's people. It might be people that we would be prone to look down on and we would be prone to scoff at. We're not sure. But the reality is, listen, if you have a humble heart, you can do both. I remember reading about a company once where one of their value statements was, we, we're willing to sweep floors. And one of their top executives quit. because so he said, I'm not willing to do that. And they said, good, we don't want to have you here if you're not willing to do that. But that, that, 
attitude of, of humility, does that, does that pervade us? Right, think about it, whether it's tasks or whether it's people. I mean, this is, where does this come from? It comes from realizing I'm, I'm made in the image of God. I'm made out of dust. My life is a vapor. It's here today. It's gone tomorrow. At any moment, God could just go over. Just remove the breath from my lungs. I'm a creature. He's the creator. Right? And so then to be able to go, and everyone else I see is made in the image of God. I don't have more of the image of God than that person. We're at the same place. James rebukes his listeners, his, the people reading his letter. He says, you know, you, you praise your God and Father, and then you curse people who are made in his image. It shouldn't be that way. So there's no one that's too, too, we're too high, they're too low. Which is why he says, never be wise in your own sight. In your own sight. This has to do with how you look. It has to do with what you see, right? Haughty brings the idea of haughty eyes. You look down. Don't be wise in your own sight. As you watch Jesus, it's fascinating. Read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and notice what it says about Jesus looking. Jesus looked at that person, and he had compassion. Jesus saw this. This kind of humility starts with looking at other people. If we're going to associate with the lowly, if we're going to associate with people that are different than us, if we're going to move not just in empathy but in interpathy toward people that are just nothing like us, we've got to go, I'm, I'm dust, they're dust. I'm made in the image of God, they're in the image of God. I'm not better. But can we really look at people? Can we realize there might be more to their story than we think? saw a video, and I want to show it to you here, and kind of the context of this video is um, some people that are trying to help, uh, help the rest of us rethink what homelessness is about. They went to some folks that are experiencing homelessness, and they said, write down something that you think people would be surprised to learn about you. And uh, here's, what they, here's what they wrote. Take a look. Isn't that fascinating? I have a degree in biology. I know four languages. I am a computer geek. I had a scholarship. I, I think it's interesting because one of the things I'm really learning through this series and through looking at what God's saying is to rethink my flinches. Because when I see a person that's homeless, my flinch is, you're a drunk. You're lazy. Get a job. Now, that may be right, depending on the situation. And if you knew more, maybe you'd find out that that's exactly right. But what I'm being confronted by in the Scripture is that that's my flinch. Why is that my flinch? Why is my flinch toward no mercy, no compassion, no kindness? My flinch is you get what you deserve. I'm so glad that God didn't act on that flinch toward me. So this is not a call to turn off your discernment or to just give everyone what they might want. But it's to go, what's our flinch? And could our flinch be more toward humility and more toward mercy and more toward compassion? Maybe that's where it needs to go. This is possible because of what I just said, because God has done it for us. 
God hates sin. God hates haughty eyes, and we're filled with it. So what does he do? Does he just cast us off? No. He moves in with humility. He moves in toward us. He moves in inner pathy, totally coming into a foreign reality. God becoming man. And he moves toward us in compassion and in mercy and in love. And because he does that, we are not squashed like bugs. And instead, we are made new to be able to live that same kind of life. I want you to take a look at at this verse. This is in Philippians. And all throughout this passage, I just keep thinking of this passage. And it's time to just go, let's let's look at this explicitly. Here's what the same apostle says a few letters later in Philippians. He says this, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Look, each of you, not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Get this. What he's about to say, he says, this is yours. If you are in Christ, this is your mindset. This is the attitude. Here's what it is. Jesus Christ, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Why is Jesus so exalted? Well, yes, it's because he's God. But did you read what that said? He counted equality with God not a thing to be grasped, not a thing to be held on to. Didn't mean he lost his deity. He just meant, I'm not going to live in the prerogative, in the, in the opportunity that I have. I'm going to become man. And when we watch Jesus, what we often imagine is that sort of underneath his cloak, he's got this red S on his chest. And we sort of, you know, everything he does that's amazing, we go, well, he's just, he's God. I'm not God. No, what Jesus is, is a man fully dependent on the Holy Spirit. And in, the, in that, the Holy Spirit leads him to humble himself to the point of death. And that's why he's exalted. That's why he's high. Because he was willing to be low. Because Jesus said, whoever exalts himself will be humbled. Whoever humbles himself will be exalted. So if we want to grow in humility, if we want to live in harmony with one another, we've got to remember that we're dust. And we've got to rejoice that God treated us with more mercy than we're inclined to give to others. And we've got to rejoice that Jesus has come near and he's come toward us. And the other thing we need to do is we need to remember now that he is high and he is exalted. See, I don't think the way mostly to, to humble yourself is to flog yourself and go, I'm bad, I'm terrible, I stink. I, I think the, the better way is to have a new vision that replaces it. Right, just this morning, my wife was, had this song in her head, and she kept singing, and I said, stop it. That, you're going to get that in my head. She goes, well, this, I'm trying to get it out. I said, that's not how you get a new song. How you get a song out of your head? You have to replace it with a new song. So I was like, shake it off, shake it off. And that got it. That did it. 
Taylor Swift, every time, we'll just, whatever you need, she'll, she'll, but then you got to figure out how to get her out of your head. Listen, this is how growth works. This is how change happens. It doesn't happen by going, I'm bad, I'm bad, I'm bad. You have to replace it with a new song. And the new song is, Jesus is worthy, Jesus is great, Jesus is amazing. That's what we're going to do the rest of this service. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for the new song we have. Thank you for the truth of who you are. Thank you that you are great, and though you are great, you are not unwilling to become small. God, nothing more vulnerable, nothing weaker than a baby. And Jesus, you became that. You lived an entire life of weakness, dependent on the Spirit. And you did it for us, and you made us new. And so, God, thank you that you keep bringing these opportunities to love. Thank you that you keep bringing these people into our lives that are challenging. God, thank you that you're using that to make us more into the image of Jesus. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.